Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at Oscar movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them enough magic to bring home that gold-ass trophy. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my co-host and soldier-in-arms and long-distance running friend, Alex. Oh, sorry. You can say your own name. Alex Dandino. I mean, you know who I am. Fine. Sorry, guys. We're a little we're a little cracking ourselves up. We were we were talking Oscar stuff before we started rolling, and we were imagining a world where. So I've been clearing out the documentaries now. I'm almost a hundred percent completion on Oscar nominated movies. Weirdly enough, and I we were imagining a world together where Barack <laughs> and Michelle Obama walk up on stage to accept an Oscar for American Factory, and how lit Twitter will be. When the president's like, I have another thing I have to accomplish better than him. Like, what's the, what is the Trump documentary that will win an Oscar? That's what, that's that, the that's world like that the I thing. That's the world I want to live in yeah. is like, what's Donald Trump's documentary about? I mean, it's probably about. I, no, don't even spoil it. Don't spoil it. You don't live in that headspace. I do. You don't I, live there. Well, hang on. No, I do. This is what I do for a living. I work on documentaries and shit. I right, think... but I'm saying you're trying to put yourself in like imagine I was Yodorowski. How would I do it? Like Trump's brain is so full of dark quarters. Well, I first would be off, fascinated what he would want to. I focus think you're on. supposing that he'd actually do any of the work. What he'd probably do is just watch a documentary, be like Stephen D'Souza, and be like, "Cool, I'm putting my name on this. Great." But also, we're both wrong because clearly the documentary will be about himself, and it'll all be filmed Donald in Trump's. selfie. Donald Trump. Oh my Donald God, Trump. son! That's I love absolute. the. I like a man who's driven by revenge. So this would be, this is the world I want to live in. Is Trump trying Actually, to do a selfie document? So he wins best director, best screenplay, best. Documentary. If he if he does this, we are redoing our revenge our revenge month and putting that documentary in in there for sure. Unbelievable! Can you fucking imagine a world where that Late. fucking guy's like, I'm gonna crack the. Oh, all right. Anyway, sorry. We, we spent a lot of time on a diatribe here. What we're here to talk about, uh, and before we do, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Find us on YouTube, The Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. Uh, and share us on uh, your social medias. Come follow us on social media, man. We everywhere. We all up in it. You can also email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. If you have movies you'd like us to cover, you can reach out on social emails. If you have a theme, a double feature, guest suggestions. If you want to, if you know a podcast we should cross over with, just let us know any of that stuff. Now that that's done, we're here to talk about what I think is clear in a way the best movie of the year, 1917. Um, This is one of those, I was watching some of the Oscar roundtable stuff. They had like all the directors together mm-hmm. and someone brought up Scorsese's comments right about what is and isn't cinema and i don't actually know if todd phillips was in the room they never showed him in the cutaway if not but essentially someone posed that question to greta gerwig right is it gerwin or gerwig 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 with a g yeah gerwig and i just saw little women today fucking great movie uh so she was asked the question right what is cinema and she just goes fuck man i don't i don't know like she had this but she had a brilliant answer in there right she's like I don't know how I would ever begin to describe it to you, but I know it when I see it. This movie to me is pure cinema. When I saw, I was like, I know what I'm seeing is something special and different and magic above the scale and scope of most movies I see. And I would say most other movies, especially this year that I saw, I don't think any of the other movies nominated have as much cinematic magic in them as this one did. Uh, Alex, walk me through your initial takes on 1917 before we start breaking it down. 1917 is a movie that I would say was made by people eons ago in their, like, before the dawn of time, knowing this thing called film was going to be made. And invented, Are you going ancient aliens on me? I'm saying ancient aliens. Like this is the kind of movie. Like I watched it and I was like, this is the kind of thing when people like thought up like when people were like drawing in Lasco caves and shit. This is like the original intention. Like 
there's something so visceral and intense yeah. and beautiful about this movie that I think is, uh, yeah. I mean, I watch it. And I'm like, there's nothing. There's no denying that this is like just one of those great movies. You're like, wow. Like, yeah. It's it's very rare that you get to watch a movie, particularly with this kind of content. Like to me, war movies often drag themselves down a lot of the time like obviously mm -hmm. there's a there's the exception and you've seen a lot of wonderful war movies made over the years but like to me 1917 is gonna wind up in that category with like paths to paths to glory um uh, private ryan saving private ryan um uh shit what there's the, a lot of great war movies, the, the, right? The, Apocalypse uh, full, now. full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of great Vietnam War movies. There's a lot of great World War II movies. I can tell you definitively, I've not seen that many World War One war movies. Yeah, you know what's funny too is I, as I was watching, I was like, because I understand the play to do World War II because the Nazis are just pulled from the page as perfect villains, right? Sure, absolutely. Uniforms, efficiency, you know, all the heinous acts they did, they they became this perfect villain, right? Yeah, They're totally. so easily recognizable as everything evil and despicable. Right. They're easy to, you know, and that was kind of Jojo Rabbit's test is can you humanize an entire country and take the piss out of these, you know, super villains or whatever. Right. Uh but what I was struck by this is the, the the actual setting of World War One, in the use of the trenches, um, is such an unbelievably ripe field with which to pluck imagery. Um, because it, I, it, and this is the thing. I'm I'm with you. I'm not a war movie person, right? Like my dad and my grandfather both loved fucking war movies, right? I I don't like war movies a ton because again, I'm one of those people. I'm just completely anti the whole concept of you know, it's, like, it's in our DNA war. And I'm like, I mean, you don't see chimpanzees spraying each other with mustard gas. Like they might like fight each other to the death over bananas and, right. you know, poontang, but they're not fucking just like as cruel and sadistic as we are. Right. Yeah, right. Like I watch the nature shows. I know I've never seen fucking trench warfare, you know, and hippo land disputes or whatever. Right, right. So it's just a sickening concept. And I hate war movies that take, take the time to make it seem like this glorious act. You know what I mean? Like I don't like the propaganda element of a lot of war movies, right? right I think that's right. why my favorite war movies apocalypse now, cause it's here was this thing. And these guys through no fault, of, there's no fault of a soldier for being sent on a mission. Right. Right. And apocalypse now is one of those movies that says, look at the fucking trauma and the real world psychic effects and consequences right. of just being subjected to the deepest, darkest parts of humanity, right? right? And what I think the the most unbelievably powerful part of 1917 is is the way I would sum it up is the moment I left the theater, one, you have to, like, catch your fucking breath. Big the time. first thing I thought is I was like, holy shit, I would have been dead. Because, like, just watching him move and carry all that shit and walk and climb and run, you're like, I would just die of a heart attack immediately. So that was intense right off the bat. Right. But... To me, it was like watching a master painter, right? And just every brushstroke was a minor atrocity. Yeah. Right? Like, every scene, while you're following these two guys, the backgrounds are just littered with small reminders of just the fucking darkness of what is happening. Right. I mean, I think I, that that's what I was most impressed with. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing that is World War One is World War One was a very like I'm not a historian to get that out of the way. Yeah, I'm obviously. really bad at history too. So. But I can tell you that like because I've watched enough war documentaries, my dad is also my dad loves the History Channel, so I watch a lot of that shit. And I can tell you that World War One was a particularly brutal war, particularly uh, mainly because no man's land, trench warfare, that was very intense stuff, mustard gas, and all that. I think the thing that I love the most about 1917 is that I finally get to see these elements that I feel have been plucked for like sci-fi and fantasy fodder for a lot of the time. Like like the trenches particularly and the motif of the way these guys dress and that kind of thing. You see it perk up in a lot of other things. I worked on a I worked on a, a comic book series that had a lot of these uh World War 1 motifs in them. It's interesting to finally see the actual conflict and the actual thing. And yes, the brutality in the background is what you notice. But the thing that I think makes 
this movie and like Apocalypse Now is a great example of this as well. The thing that makes 1917 and movies like Apocalypse Now so interesting is that the through line is not war. Like, war! Hey, read all about it! That's not what this movie's about. Like, this movie has really, like, one of the most simple through lines. I mean, it's literally about a guy running a message across the battlefield. That's it. Like, if you boil it down to its base elements, and, like, that's what's great about Apocalypse Now is the same thing. It's literally about a guy going into the heart of the jungle to kill a guy. It's based obviously I, based on more than just that, but right. What, what I would say too, to strengthen your argument, right. is like, they all kind of, a lot of these war movies have that, right. Go save private Ryan. So his mom doesn't lose all her boys, right. Go get Kurtz. Cause he's alive. <laughs> right. right. A lot of war movies have the mission. What I like about this one, it's, you know, very, uh, wrote, uh, what's her name? Rose from star Wars. Right. Mm-hmm. Is this is the one where, the mission, and it's almost insidious the way they lay it out by the time the movie ends, is like, hey, man, if you don't do this, your brother's going to get murdered, and it's going to be your fault. Yeah. Right? Like, this extra insidiousness on this character who looks so childlike. Yeah. Um, I- And I think that's the thing, is that this it's, – so it's this mission of we have one soldier who's like, man, this is fucked up. We should not do it. We should wait eight hours, wait for dark. And he's like, I've got to save my brother. So – and that's what I think – this movie does so amazing because we'll get to I, my next question is about like the production or whatever. Like the scale of this movie is phenomenally impressive. Right. And the scope of what happens here in the war and the landscapes and the destruction is not lost on you. Yeah. But what I think this movie does so well is all of that big stuff. Right. Like the trenches themselves is used to funnel everything down to just a core emotional beat. Yeah. And it is. This is the movie where this isn't a guy fighting for lofty ideals of justice and country and whatever. This is a guy who puts it on the line because he wants to save his brother. Right. And then the other guy puts it on the line because he also is trying to help his friend out. I mean, that that is what matters to me more in this movie than other war movies. I mean, I'd go even further than that, honestly. Like it's 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 so much more simple. I think the microscope nail it. I mean, to me, it's survival. Like, that is really kind of like the baser instinct of us all. And I think that's something that you see, You like, the mission. You bring up a good point. Like, the mission, Apocalypse Now, like, we've lost Martin Sheen's character by the time we meet him. Like, he doesn't give a shit about yeah. survival. He gives a shit about the mission. That's his yeah. life. He's already and, in a hotel room just, like, you know, rubbing blood on himself. Like, yeah, okay. he's done. He, he's, he's, a, he's out. He's gone. But, like... <laughs> what this movie does is crystallizes the mission of survival to to, like, to see your family, to see your loved ones, to be yeah. a member of the world as it goes forth. That's like, to me, what I pulled the most from these two guys, um, you know, and that's like the thing that's so tragic in a lot of ways about some, most, a lot of the movie is that survival becomes more paramount than the mission in a lot of ways, which it's fascinating because the mission carries this guy, these guys through the right. entire movie. But see, I'm, I'm, I'll push back a little bit, right? Because I don't think it's survival for themselves, right? Because it would be easier for them to just stay. He wants his. I think there's a part. The survival here is their their humanity. You know, like if he doesn't go save his brother, he knows he's dead inside. He'll be alive, but he's dead. Right. You know. And the other guy, I think, has that. You know, this kid's gonna fucking get himself killed. And at a point, does, you know, in a truly sad, horrific scene that we'll get to. Um, but then he takes up the mission. He could have just stopped there. Right. He could have just been like, oh, I'm fucking traumatized, which he was. Uh, I'm just going to sit in the back of this fucking van with these guys. He then picks up the mission to save this brother as if it's as important to him. I mean, and that that bit of saving humanity and saving decency and honoring a promise those are the kind of thing like you can I think that's what all of this this is how wars happen right as we build things up we dehumanize and build things up differences and walls and it gives us all of these fucking excuses to do something so stupid and nonsensical and it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around. and even guys like us we've never fucking seen anything like that right we see it on the movie yeah and we're like wow look at that that's fucking crazy imagine being there and so <laughs> What I think this movie does well is it takes that kind of propaganda bullshit out and it's just a guy who wants to save his brother. And the inversion they do that's really clever too is 
he wants to save his brother, but also he is kind of the guy who's bought into the mission, right? They have that great moment where they're discussing the the badge, right? You get a badge of honor, right? He's like, right. you probably just want a badge of heroism for saving me. And he's like, it's just tenor. It's not tin and ribbon. It's what it represents, right? It's that you fucking went for it or, you know, you're trying to help out. And then the guy just doesn't buy it. And then not very long after loses that young optimistic, we're going to get the mission done friend of his and fucking goes on. Right. You know, the guy who we know is somewhat defeated already and is seeing this thing more clearly, I would say, than his naive companion, uh, you know, fucking goes on again and, and does this, you know, medal winning act of heroism. So I think that's what I like is that it doesn't spare you the atrocity and it gives you the real reason why, you know, this isn't some like we just got to beat bad guys. It's a yeah. really focused and understandable like we'd all like to think that we would cross that battlefield to save our loved one yeah i and mean that that's, is a, that's a better place to start a war movie for me as an audience member no i agree i mean i think that's probably the best place to start it like war yeah, well, a lot of times like you know right it's like you're fighting for your family back home this is he's right there just fucking go across yeah i mean that's like yeah. that's the thing that i like the most is you latch on to these guys immediately like that's oh. the thing that i think is the most yeah relevant part of the movie is like you don't have to have i you know i we grew up in the midwest like there's a lot of people we know that have gone in the army gone in the marines like we know people who've been to war and come back like yeah i don't i don't know about them but like i, I mean i haven't been in the i have never been to a battlefield in my entire life but <laughs> i globbed onto these guys immediately because that sense of duty and purpose for your family is something that's very personal to me and i think that's something that sam mendez does so well within the context of the story is like what's great about what's great about the way that he constructs this is that it's it's only about it, it becomes about family like it becomes about these very simple things and simple terms people can understand that have nothing to do with war or the greater issues mm -hmm. and that yeah and like you said right like even when they hit the end of their own trenches right they meet the guy who's like, hey, you're going to die. Throw the thing, the flare gun back. You know, if you're dead, I hate to go. You meet guys that are all the way broken and it feels hopeless. Right. But you just ride with these guys that are still trying. And there there is such a human spirit in that act of, you know, trying. Right. Uh, that it, it's just relatable even to guys like us. The only war movie I ever was like, maybe was, uh, you know, Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> We're like, yeah, I could go on and just do like some. I could scream at people over the radio, like right, that's yeah. the kind of service I could probably well, bring. Like, that's what we do now, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're like, we don't need more overweight diabetics clogging the trench. It was already claustrophobic enough. Like, I have no no use on an actual battlefield. Um, so one thing that I wanted to get your opinion on. So I I heard some debate online, and I read a tweet, and uh, forgive me for not knowing. I think it's. This guy who does a podcast, I think it's called Piecing It Together. Something like that, right? If you are a listener and you know who it is, hit us up on social media. So he does a, you know, a podcast and tweets a lot. And he he posed just a question. I don't think he was taking a shot or weighing in. But just a question of the gimmick of the one shot, right? I mean, everyone who's listening to this knows the movie is shot to look as if it's all one take. Right. Despite the fact that it would take six to eight hours probably and, you know, we were only there for two. Whatever. Oh, right, right. Shot to feel that way, right? Um, minimal cuts, this and that. The the backstory on the production is fascinating. Yeah. If you watch, like, any of the stuff, like, them waiting, just people waiting, readying for clouds. Yeah. And, this is, like, the, kind go, of, go, go. This is the kind of movie that we absolutely have to get, like, this is the kind of movie that I feel like, as much as I enjoyed the movie, like, this is a Hearts of Darkness situation where I feel like the documentary oh, about yes. making it might be even more, it might be even more interesting than the movie. Right. And this is the point that he was arguing, right? Is this simply a gimmick, right? People who are ultra talented at film using this as a kind of gimmick to separate it from other war movies or is the way they did it artistically important to how they showed this film. And I think his sub point was every time you make an edit in a movie, that's a, an artist decision as well. Right. And affects how you see the movie. Right. I would argue, I think that's being a little bit pompous in a way because, uh, 
didn't Bohemian Rhapsody win best editing and literally they just randomly cut to people's faces the whole movie? There was not an enormous well, amount of art in that. But anywho, I don't think every cut in every movie is truly, you know, this artistically breathtaking choice. But I think his point is, could you have done this movie the way they did Private Ryan? Could you have just cut it? Do you think that it became gimmick or wildly important to the end product to do this as a masked one take? Well, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. I mean, for one, um, I would actually agree with the look. In spite of Bohemian Rhapsody, which was easily the world's worst movie, I, one of the worst movies I saw last year. Um, I, not even as a bad movie, but that even being nominated for editing is atrocious. Oh yeah, I said that. I said that. <laughs> I'm like, why is this movie being nominated for anything, let alone editing? Before you go, let me hit you with a hot take. So our friend Sam is an editor, right, for TV. <laughs> And he said, I can't believe this movie would even be considered for best editing. I was like, 1917? And he's like, yeah, well, if there's only five cuts, that's the easiest editing job of all time. Oh, my God, Sam. (laughs) Sam Sam loves to be as intentionally fucking glib as possible. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty funny take, I'm going to say this. Sam, you know better than that. You know better than that, Sam. I Sam imagines the that. editors just got a call like, hey, you guys want to put in three extra weekend days? Uh, we have to edit all of 1917. It's really just ingestion and five cuts. It'll be great. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, man. I no, mean- but uh, that was, I thought was a funny take. But back to the, the one shot. Gimmick or important, intrinsic, artistic tool? I think because, from what I understand, this was an intentional... This was an intentional use from the jump. Like, this wasn't something that they found in the edit or anything like that. No, 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 no. This was like, this is 500 extras. This is meticulous background work. They talked about it already. Yeah. uh, I would assume they knew this in the screenwriting process. Absolutely. I think this is absolutely. I mean, I think this is a great example of writer-director work. Like, Sam Mendes wrote and uh, co-wrote and directed this movie. So, from the jump, Sam Mendes knows what kind of movie he wants to make, and I think for this particular movie, um, the claustrophobia of not just the trenches, but the claustrophobia of a ticking clock, so to speak. You know that there's going to be a time where this information runs out of its usefulness. So, like, it its ability to be a one-take movie, so to speak, works in a way right. that um, heightens the tension considerably. I, I would say yeah. that... Movies that employ this technique, which I mean, probably the most famous one is Birdman. Birdman's probably the most famous one in the last, like, I don't know, decade that's done a one take. Um, it won an Oscar, all kinds of shit. I mean, yeah. that one, it functions in a much more comical way, but it does the same thing where it creates this claustrophobia and this, like, repetition of timing required that you need to, like, stay locked into the character. And I think that's probably the most right. important thing about 1917's pacing is that with a one take, like you're locked into these two guys. You you're looking around, but like the speed at which things are happening, the speed at which things are moving forward, like you can't take time to like notice the like you can't take time to notice the big wide open veranda shot. What you're doing is taking time and noticing that these guys are A in a time crunch and B like in mortal danger regularly. Like it's not like yeah. this isn't a thing like a great, like, this isn't like the fucking, you know, uh, assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Like, this isn't like, a wow, look how big that beautiful shot by Roger Deakins is. Like, this is, yeah. I think this is actually, I mean, Roger Deakins absolutely deserves best cinematography for this one, by the way. It's fucking phenomenal. Um, I mean, to me, this should win, like, three or four awards right away. Like, we should just shut it the fuck. Down. Like, this year, it feels like five or six categories, to me, should be shut down. I mean, I feel like I this know, movie well, is most of the technical awards. Like, this is pretty well, fascinating work. Yeah. It, and on it, I don't know. I feel like I'm not hearing a lot of buzz for this one, period, right? It doesn't seem to be winning as many things as I think it should. Right. I mean, uh, but it, here, here's how I look at it, though, right? To the point that the tweet made, right, that every cut is an artistic choice, part of that is true. And what I think happens is. There is, I mean, you really summed up kind of what I'm thinking, right? Is there's a pressure cooker element built in. And every time you cut the camera, right? So let's say they cut away and we see two cottages with the cherry blossoms around, right? The moment you cut off of those guys and show that, I now know, oh, fuck, something's there. 
And so I'm focused on those two objects, right? Mm -hmm. The way they do it here is it's just these two guys having a conversation and the camera slowly pans around. Right. This movie does it in a really fun job that the movie becomes scarier when they leave the claustrophobic trench. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Which is really because the, the start of the movie is so fucking burdened with bodies and them trying to push through in no man's land, crawling through barbed wires, touching them and dead by it's ferocious. The underground stuff is hard to watch. I'm really claustrophobic. So that's the shit bothered me. Oh, yeah. When that bomb goes but off. It's weird. Holy shit. Oh, man. But this is crazy, though. When they get out of that, the movie gets scarier. Oh, yeah, because then you're in then the you're open. like, oh, then the trenches as bad as they were. And they led to rats and disease and claustrophobia, all that shit. Right. They were for protection. Yeah. They're and this movie and really illustrates the uh, when they pop every time they pop their head out of the trench. Right. There's probably two or three moments of them rising up out of something. Mm -hmm. It's fucking terrifying. And one of the scariest scenes in the movie is the scenes moving towards the cottage. You guys are like, they're just walking down a hill yeah. and there's nothing around. Like they're also and in they, the worst And they know there's they a building there. Yeah. Right. And there's a tree line a little bit behind them. And there was an explosion. And there are these planes that they keep asking, are those ours or not? But they're really fucking out there. And right. they're just having this talk about the metal, but it becomes this fucking terrifying sequence. And when they walk up to those cottages, it's really fucking scary. And I guess you could have the counter argument that every time the camera pans away, it's kind of cutting to whatever setting we're supposed to well, be afraid of. Sure. I, I think that cut, though, right? Because well, I had a director tell me this once. I used to write reviews or whatever for a blog. And I watched this guy's horror movie. And it wasn't a great movie, and he's not an acclaimed director. But he said something that I never forgot, right? And he said, when you're a director... Right. All you the director's job is just to make choices. Right. Choice, choice, choice. Uh, and he says every time you make a fucked up choice and someone's watching a movie and they go, what? You lose them for the next eight minutes of the movie. They have to reset their brain and rebuy into what you're doing. And that's not scientific at all. But I think there's something really to that. Right. No, I mean, I and think I think that's exactly, cuts have that effect. Well, I think that's exactly what. It is like that's like the most important yeah. thing about this movie is that you never have a moment really to reset your brain. Like what you're never. saying is correct. Like the drift, that is the cut technically. And that honestly yeah. is a very artistic and actually a very smart way to cut in this movie and divide your movie into scene work, which is right. pretty fascinating. What I think to the point of the tweet, I, I agree. I actually think I, I actually agree with the tweet. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody notwithstanding, you know, again, things get awards that I'm surprised by. Again, and, you know, like Legally Blonde got nominated for Legally Blonde. Uh, Do for you Golden think Globes this before. movie loses value if it's cut as a and shot as a traditional war movie rather than the one take? Um, I mean, it's hard to make that assessment because – but I'd say I, – I I'd say probably. Does, I think it really – because, again, like you said, the drift is the cut. Fair. But that cut, right – your it's like we we do our comic book podcast the long box sessions when your eye goes from panel to panel we uh, we think we're reading that as a continued sequence yeah our brain is filling in those fucking panels right and every time there's a cut your mind is you know it's like a little shutter and even that much of pulling you out of the bought reality i think does alter how this movie works and I'm oh, not no, saying that it couldn't have been an equally great movie shot the other way. No, I don't. But think I think that's they would have changed either, a lot of elements. I don't but... think it's a gimmick. Like get, calling it a gimmick, no. I think what I think it is is a, a filmmaking technique. Like, yeah, it's not. A I'm gimmick. sure it was annoying as fuck to work on this movie. P.S. But <laughs> <laughs> depending on how many takes they had to do, yeah, there are sure was... there are segments of the movie because we were arguing. Me and my buddy he's like, I think it's five takes, and I'm like, it has to be more like twenty or thirty cuts, right? Or we were arguing cut numbers. Oh. And I'm like, they have hidden cuts everywhere, right? And he's like, no, I think there's only five. And I was like, could you imagine, right? Like, <laughs> you get all the fucking way. Go back back to one. Like, this is this is where I would argue with the one shot, right? After the cottage with the, uh, the milk and the loss of the guy, once he gets in the van with the new troops, mm -hmm. that moment feels like a reset in the movie. I don't feel like I needed the one... Because then it, we lose the the no man's land and trench aspect too. 
you probably could have shot the second half of that traditional and it wouldn't have bothered me. Sure. But I think that one long buildup to the loss of his friend is just, it's perfectly timed. But them getting out to like push the truck, and I know they're having a lot of really important emotional discussions. But that part felt a little like, okay. And then he gets knocked unconscious, you know, mm -hmm. 20 minutes later. Yeah. I was like, you can start cutting now. Like, I don't, well, You don't have to keep going through this arduous, <laughs> you know, process. I mean, but I, I do think the movie, that opening would not have hit me the way it did. No, I mean, I don't a think, different but way. see, to that point, though, and I'll push back there, like, I actually think the entirety of the movie, if they started doing, like, traditional cuts, would have lost a lot of, I think the pacing and the veracity of sure. the movie itself would have lost a considerable amount of momentum. And I think, yeah. actually, you would have had to take a lot more time to reset your brain to the, like, think about it. Fair they, point. Like, Fair point. truthfully, the real cut in the movie is when he gets fucking dinged by the bullet and gets knocked out. That's right. like the first real cut in the movie because mm -hmm. you if a con if your main character that you're following loses consciousness, it's not like the camera's just gonna sit there and hover over him for 20 minutes. Like that seems like a bad. That seems <laughs> like a poor use. That's a really poor. It's something we talk about a lot, which is the economy of time in movies, and uh, that's a really poor use of time. Like, can you imagine like just having to sit there and like. I would be like, I think the real stuff. Should we should we comb through film Twitter? You know one like real artiste type, right? Oh yeah. Has the handlebar mustache and it's, you know, uh I hate Tarantino at whatever the fuck. Like that guy, right? There's one <laughs> right, guy yeah. out there. He's like, no one's really made a film past Fellini, like that guy. Right, yeah. He's definitely. like, if you really wanted to show me war, I wanted four hours of staring on an unconscious soldier's face, listening to the depravity. <laughs> you, there has to be one guy, right? One guy who's like, you know, how I'm gonna make a name for myself. The hardest zig when everyone else says. <laughs> I know that guy exists, and I would die to have a screenshot of that tweet. <laughs> I mean, that guy exists. His name's Armand White, and uh, he is a. Uh, I meant, but I mean, like truly, sincerely. I bet you there was a guy. Who just in a Herzog voice went, you're such cowards. You don't understand the sacrifice of war, obviously, you cowards. You need a nappy time from the halls of mankind, you babies, you small babies. Like, that's what I, there's one, it might have sure. even been Herzog, I don't know. There's definitely I don't know. one I, guy who's for right. sure that dude. Like, there, that guy exists, I, he's out there, and <laughs> I. Maybe I'll be that guy, I don't know. Maybe I I'll take the Twitter a, tomorrow I, and That guy exists the out there, and he's a gigantic piece of shit. That's what I think. I said it. And he's me starting tomorrow. <laughs> Social media campaign. No, I I don't know. I That's something that bothered me, though, is I think there are people who are taking shots at this movie as this movie is only good and memorable because of this gimmick. And I simply don't accept that. I I, I, I mean, this movie this is, is phenomenal on a lot of things, but I don't think I, I would not classify it as the memorable gimmicky thing about no, the film. I, I think it's a memorable film because it's a good film. Like, that's what I think. I would actually argue right. that I like I'll say this in sub uh, a sub version of that is i watched this movie i enjoyed this movie i will not probably watch this movie again like that's like not a knock on the movie you know it's weird no well i was thinking about this today because when i rate things on letterbox right like i post them on our twitter just so like you know hey maybe we'll spark a conversation with someone right, or they'll yeah. be like oh i want to watch that movie too and i take a lot of people asking me like why is that only a fucking three and a half or four stars and I always tell them, like, the fifth star for me is the magic star, right? So to be four and a half, you have to be a movie I love and fill me with the wonder of cinema, right? That's half a star. Mm -hmm. The final star to be a five-star movie to me is I want to watch the movie again. Totally. If I don't ever want to watch the movie again, it's not a five-star movie to me. Right. It's just fucking not, right? It's not a personal so people, thing. It's just is what but it that's, is. No, that's what I mean. But I gave this a five star because I will be excited to do this again. I think there is this. I think there are just days, right? And this has been a week of, you know, reflection and thinking back based on some things that have happened. Right. And also, I've been watching the Oscar nominated documentaries and just feeling horrible about myself for ever having a bad day. Of course. You're just like, holy shit, like people are going through it. And I'm over here mad <laughs> because some guy like cut my Internet cable when he was doing yard. Like, you know, bullshit like that. Right. Uh, so it's been a week of that, but I think this movie is just, I, I'm always appreciative of anything that can put me in this primordial, you know, what the fuck is this all about? Right. right. This big human thing. 
And I don't know, maybe the next time I watch this movie, I'll fucking turn it off, you know, after the cottage, like when he gets in the van. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I, I will watch it again. Well, I mean, and I, that's I think, the value of the And that's the, the thing. Movie. I don't care about all that. It's There's so much emotion and humanity in it. Yeah. And I think that's what, well, just little things, right? Like the, the things that people hold is their keepsakes. Right. What people are saying is their diet. Like these, mo- uh, one moment I wanted to talk to you, right? Uh, I wanted to ask you about the milk. I felt like that was a really interesting decision to add the milk in that movie, right? Why? So they're they're at the the cottage, and this guy sees the the milk. Right. They're right next to a fucking stream, if I remember right. And instead of filling his canteen with water, which there was actually a well right there, you could have filled it with water. Right. Why fill it with milk? Something that's going to fucking rot and ruin your canteen and be gross. It felt like this. It felt like Sam Mendes trying to say that there was some kind of greater hand guiding them through this, right? That maybe because these guys had bought into humanity, that's why he had to take the milk to send it to the the kid. Because that was a heart-crushing scene where you're like, fuck, there's just actual people yeah. who live on battlefields, right? Like, we spent all movie walking through these fucking battlefields and seeing death and carnage everywhere. Right. Oh my God, this is someone's house. Like they're raising a baby here. That's not their own baby. That was the other subtle fucking Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But I felt like that milk was wildly important and it just didn't dawn on me until like a day or so later. I don't know if the milk, I don't know if I assigned that much value to the milk. I just assumed they were hungry and milk is more sustenance than water at that point. So that's how you took it. What? He was also the guy who had been really good at saving his rations. His boy had just died, so he could have had more rations. Oh, I think he filled the canteen before that. He filled the canteen. That's probably it, that, a actually, argument. him filling yeah. the canteen. Oh, no, wait. That happened before. Yeah, sorry. He walked out there. And right. then the Yeah, okay, cool. Sorry. But no, what actually gets his partner killed is being a good person. Because he sees a yeah, plane goes down and he's like, out of the thing. I, that, by the way, that might out. be one of my favorite bits in the movie. That actually, that sequence is incredible. I love the wide-eyed naivete of him, and I don't look at it as a character flaw. No, not right? At all. He's just a good person he is the, caught he is in an the, unwinnable situation. He is the metaphorical innocence of man. Like that's like the yeah. true nature because he's a baby-faced dude, and I've seen him in other stuff as a kid. Has weapons, has whatever, and he's yeah. like, "Hey, pulls this guy out, knows he's not on his team, and just says, get this guy some water.'" He turns around and gets fucking sad man and knows that he can't say like his final moments of i can't save my brother oh my god it it was i mean that fucking sequence like i was i weep at movies all the time but that one had me bawling that's just but i think there is this moment right of by him taking the mission and embracing the good i felt like this milk became this boon from the gods right because as he makes it to the city he loses time he gets hit with the bullet Nazis are on his ass, or not Nazis, just normal Germans, right? Pre-Nazis. <laughs> Pre-Nazis. Yeah, Germans bad before Nazis. Guys, Nazis. Right? Yeah, he slides in to the house. Yeah. And I think that one fucking moment, right? The fact that he made the weird choice to get that milk instead of water, whatever. I think there was some kind of hand of fate element to that, right? That by being able to give them that milk, it rekindled his purpose to get him through the end of that. You okay. know, it felt it felt like there was something bigger going on, right? Because this all feels... The movie spends so much time in this kind of... Look at how fucking horrendous. And you know, it's like kind of an exercise in nihilism almost, okay. right? Like, well, what is the fucking point of any of this? This is crazy. If that's the case, like, if you unpack that idea that, like... Yeah. Things are happening for a reason, like... This guy, you know, gra- I love to inject my bullshit into movies. It's my favorite. Well, well, but that's like, but you're not wrong though. Like, cause there are other moments, there are other prophetic moments that occur in that film. Like him having the milk for that family is prophetic. That's a moment in right. a movie that otherwise like what you're doing is like, like that kind of thing, you know, like that's, I mean, not like right before that, where he's like running, like he wakes up by the way, that again, Robert, Roger Deakins is amazing. Like that whole it's fucking insane. The when he wakes up and starts walking through that like raised city, oh my god! Ugh. Like, I just like they don't. I mean, like this. It just give it to no. him right there. Like, why are we even arguing? This movie why are we is, even doing Oscars? Just yeah. hand it off to this guy. 
but the, the amount of and that's that's also one of the amazing Deacon's things is how much beauty he finds in this fucking horrific yeah trek that it's we amazing. go on. Well, yeah. so you think about that. So the milk happens. I actually would assign that same amount of divine providence to when he decides to like run across the field outside the trench, which is like, I mean, he sh- he'd be shot immediately. Like, there's absolutely but no they reason. They retreated. They retreated. I know, but even still, like, even with retreat happening, so on and so forth. Yeah. Bullets are flying from somewhere like him running the wrong direction where everyone else is like, that's the truly fascinating thing to me. Like that yeah. moment, I was like, this is that was the part I was like, that's the hand of God is like this. You know what I was stunned this by dude's getting through the field without any bullshit. Yeah. And I mean, this is also part of it. We were talking about uh, this movie has a lot of look at how fucking revolting and grotesque war is without it jumping out in your face. Right. It's not. No. Ha, ha, we're battling with knives Dude. and whatever. There is a moment of that. But just see it constant amount of dead bodies. Yeah. Everywhere. I right? think that's something personal people... effects and trinkets, right? Just places that were lived in and now have become tombs, right? I think that's the thing that people hand, don't realize about World War One. Like World War One was not yeah. a clean war. Like it was actually pretty terrible. I don't know that there are like clean wars, but the trenches but, make it extra scary. But well, yeah, but besides that, like there from what, from my limited understanding, the <laughs> amount of death that occurred in World War One was not just it wasn't just like on the field of battle. Like people were dying, like you're saying, dying in the trenches. Like people were dying of yeah. disease. All kinds of other shit was going on that was just slowly killing people. So just death was all around you. But there's another thing that I actually well, even imagine this though, dude. That was World War One. Yeah, like something like this was somewhat impossible to comprehend at the time totally you know this and this is the thing in the movie that is really crazy getting back to no man like you said i think the reason that scene is so almost providential too is the fact that this is what they've been fighting for and they just left and these two dudes get a run through yeah like what was all of that for it's it is mind blowing. And just imagine being a person at the time and being like, this war will never end and consume the whole world. Right. Fucking terrifying. Well, man. there's another aspect of this too is like, and again, this is just Roger Deakins and Sam Mendez being a great director and having this eye, but like the, there is a lot of like beauty happening amongst yeah. a lot of the ruins. Like not just that scene where he's running through like literally a raised city, but I would say again, him coming out of that trench and running the op like running uh adjacent to the trench on the field, that field is quite beautiful and quite lovely green. Like there's a lot of like lushness in this movie. Again, the the cherry blossoms. There's a lot of beauty yeah, happening. That one got me. I mean, the end of that, the end, the ending scene alone is like I, the end. The end got me. I cried. Like I just fucking bawled at the end there. It's it's unbelievable because one again, just like the dead bodies caught in the dam. In oh the river, God. like th- those just moment, those small fucking moments of just it's it's, it's brutality. That's what I mean. It's just fucking masterful brushstrokes yeah. of atrocities. And it's not trying to jump out like the the dead bodies. It's not like we're doing like a Sam Raimi, like, you know, no fucking Dutch angle. Like, ah, it's a scary dead. It's just <laughs> a fact of their lives. Yeah. That's the part that becomes so haunting by the end of it. But totally. yeah, like him coming through and like stopping in a trance and just like refueled by this song right like why there why was this group stopped right where the dam was there there are these moments that feel hand of godish near the end of the movie right that almost it almost plays the very end in this other than him getting brained by the bullet and passing Mm -hmm. out right yeah there and that that almost becomes part of it right is that the rest of the movie almost plays as this dreamlike Oh, I did fucking accomplish my mission, right? It almost plays as that guy died in the tower and this is his last gasp is this heroic fantasy of how it's going to go down. Right. Right? Finding the brother, saving him, talking to the bloodthirsty colonel. You know what I mean? Like, it plays very, like, dreamlike in a way. I mean, a horrific dream, right? Maybe there was no lady who just 
was raising a kid that wasn't hers and needed milk, right? Maybe that's a man in his dying breath looking at the woman he never would have and his own kid that he would never raise, right? Right. And I think that kind of stuff is is so fucking beautiful, right? Because I, I like the idea of Sam Mendes about halfway through the movie saying, you know what? I Because that, that cut, like you said, that's the big resetting of your mind, right? Is that unconsciousness. Right. I like the idea of a little hand of godness, right? That what is important in this movie is that somewhere in the cosmos, it matters that a guy who's just really driven to be decent is going to get the job done. I think that's probably the most important message in the movie is that, yes, there is like, it doesn't have to be God or anything, but there is some sort of cosmic force in the universe to protect someone who's trying to do what's right and true. Yeah. Like that's really kind of like the thing that I love the most about the movie is there is this, there is this overwhelming sense of brotherhood and all that stuff that happens through half the movie. And then once that brother dies, that bond almost becomes stronger. And then to another extent, the movie is about embracing the embracing the inevitable and realizing that like whatever's going to happen happens. Like, I would, I mean, I would fucking, I'm not a brave person. I would stay in the clock tower until the whole thing was over. But this guy fucking The least ran. brave. Like, I'm the least brave. I'm yeah. the least brave. <laughs> this is like, it's heroism without being heroism. I don't, it's yeah. just, it's so moving and it's so yeah. wonderful because it's someone who is riding with the current, but yeah. facing it strong. Like that's, that's the beauty of the movie. I think itself. Yeah. And let's even say the, the end of the movie is a, a dying man's final hallucinatory dream that is still even awesome absolutely because his last thought is trying to make sense of all of it in a way that still shows sacrifice man and that that to me was cool and especially when the ending just caps it with cumberbatch and you're like it didn't matter like this moment truly doesn't matter yeah the and cumberbatch pretty much hints at it like (laughs) tomorrow next week whenever these boys are going over that hill and they're gonna die yeah Right. They're coming over their hill or we're going over our hill and a lot of us are fucking going to die. Right. Like you can't just keep postponing the fight. Right. We're here to have a war. Right. It's coming. Right. And he just sits there fucking defeated. And after all this hardship, the heroic moment. Right. This is why, you know, I think my my love of creating like a conspiracy within a movie is nonsense. You know, I think it's a fun exercise. But when he's just walking through that tent, I think. The portrayal of him just looking at what the fuck was all of this for? Right. The helplessness that he's not saved from until he finds the brother. And that one handshake oh my is God. what this movie is all about, right? Is that yeah. I've just done a truly decent thing for no other reason that even when we are at our worst, decent things need to be done, right? Like we can exist as a species and move forward. Right. If a huge percentage of us don't just understand the very base concept for this all to work out. The decent thing needs to be done. Right. And that moment and him just going to sit in the sun and look at a picture of a person he may never see again. This is one of those classic, like the movie fades to black and you have no sense that this is going to be better for anyone we've seen. Um, but that moment, man, that I think that ending is the ray of sunshine, right? Oh, yeah. Is that there's always a decent thing to do, even in the worst moments. I mean, and that's that to me is again like when I think of 1917, that the one shot idea will always be secondary to the amount of human experience that they fucking crammed into this movie. Absolutely, and that is what makes it cinematic. I that think to if me is what separates cinema from movies. Yeah, I think if you're someone who can be distracted by, um technical prowess then yeah you're gonna think of it as a gimmick but like if you can look at this movie as the whole of storytelling and like what it is the breadth of which this is a director a director of photography a director and co-writers like at the at the like the width of their power height of their power the abilities they harness to make this movie are so fascinating and the technique techniques they use are so sophisticated that to me, it doesn't blend into one take. It blends into the experience of a human. It's a story itself. That's yeah. what storytelling is, and you're right. That's what separates cinema from movies, if you really want to be technical yeah. about it. A really 
fully absorbing, lifelike, emotionally wrought experience. Right? Absolutely. And again, you can look across the board. There's no one who participated in this movie who doesn't feel like they have hit the pinnacle of what this art form is. Except for the lazy editor who only had to make five edits. <laughs> That's true. Sam, thanks for calling that guy out. <laughs> Sam, way to go at your fellow editing union or guild brother. Yes. Way to just start throwing blows. It's no master chef, Sam. I agree with you. <laughs> All right, guys. That's it for 1917. My God, man. I I just... It was This awesome. movie was actually breathtaking to me when I saw it in the theater. That's not hyperbole. Holding my breath, white knuckled, crying, uh, fully invested. To me, this is what I hope for every year in a best picture. Uh, this is actually a, the last Oscar movie we're going to do in the build up to the big day. Uh, next week, or this week, actually, not next week, this week, because the Oscars are Sunday, we're going to be dropping a little special show on our YouTube channel, The Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end, and probably on the audio feeds as well. Where we're going to do, Alex, this is a game, so prepare yourself. Watch as many as you can. We're going to do our heart picks and our brain picks, right? Like, what do we want to win and what do we think is going to win? Okay. Uh, and we're going to run through all that for you guys. Uh, next month, February, the month of Amour, uh, we're doing the theme. This is the theme we've settled on, right? I would do anything for love, comma, and this is the important part, but I won't do that. Tales of romance. That have a tragic flaw. For sure, we've settled on Near Dark. Yep. Harold and Maude. Indeed. Uh, what are your picks? Are you settled? Oh, yeah, I settled. I sent them to you. Hang on, I have to pull them up. Uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Lars and, and the Birth. Real Girl. That's it. That's what it is. Lars and the Real Girl and Birth, with, which neither of us have seen, but I read about, and I'm utterly fascinated. Nicole Kidman. Yeah, I remember when there was the kerfuffle, yeah. if you will. Uh, but yeah, anything with Nicole Kidman, I'm almost guaranteed to love. <laughs> we'll see, man. So that's it, guys. Uh, please share us on your socials, ratings and reviews everywhere. Take a moment, do the same for our other show, the Long Box Sessions uh, podcast. If you like comic book and nerd pop culture, we handle that over there. Uh, YouTube, the Nerd Alchemist, plural with the S at the end. We're trying to push that hard this year. New content coming your way. Uh, thanks, guys, man. I hope you're excited to join us for our Oscar picks. And I hope more than anything, when you're watching the Oscars, you're just glad to see people uh, getting rewarded for their hard work, man. Don't don't worry about the snubs. Yeah. Just enjoy people hitting the, the highest moment of their lives, man. Very important. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffin. I'm Alex Dandy.